Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Restoring the Rhythms of Grace, and it is part of the Tired Hearts Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Let's get into the Word today. We're going back to uh, tired hearts. And yet last Sunday we started dealing with the fact that you can biologically, physically be tired inside. Your brain can be tired and we talked about the fact that when, when you're overstimulated, when you have too much new information, too much stress coming at you, when, in other words, when you watch the news uh, or you, you check your social media, you have too much stuff coming at you, you, you your, your brain, which runs on, which, 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 uh, runs on glucose, I started to say sugar, which is the same thing, right? Uh, uh, it, it, you know, the Snickers bar, the guy eats the Snickers bar, and all of a sudden he's, he's, a, di- he's a different person, uh, you know. And uh, so your brain runs on glucose, but stress uses up all your glucose, which blocks dopamine, which is the chemical that makes you feel good. It makes you have fun. That's why you lose your ability to enjoy life, and you lose your ability to have fun. And so Jesus says, I want to invite you away from the crowd Away from the noise, come unto me, all your labor and heavy laden. I want to read from the Message Bible. Now, the Message Bible is not a translation. So he throws in some stuff that, well, if you go back to the original language, it's not really what he's saying. But he, but he beautifully expresses an idea. And I love the way uh, the late Eugene Peterson that just passed away, I believe, last year. Great, great pastor. He was a real pastor. And... Um, I love the way he words it. Let's, let's read it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Jesus is, is inviting us into what I call the rhythm of grace. Or re- I'm going to talk today about restoring the rhythms of grace. Or what Rebecca Lyons call the rhythm of renewal. What we must not miss is the context of the chaos in which this text was given. We talked about it last week. There was a multi-layer, multi-layered oppression. Rome, Israel, the Sanhedrin, the religious political leaders of the day. It was a very hard and vulnerable time to live. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus' life began with the extermination of every child in, in Bethlehem Two years of every male child, two years of age and under. That's what his life began with. This is the culture that the, the people lived in. It was about 625 BC before Jesus came. That sure, a lot of you've heard of Spartacus. Spartacus 
started a slave rebellion. And um, Cassius was uh, a senator in Rome. In fact, he was the the uh, Forbes magazine even says today that he was, the, uh, of all of history, among the top ten wealthiest men of history. And of course, his wealth depended on slaves. So he wasn't very excited about Spartacus and went and crushed the rebellion. And in his victory parade, down the Appian Way was a major highway that went to Rome. And on the Appian Way... As he marched in his, history, in his victory parade, there were uh, 6,000 crosses. And on each cross was a slave dying. That's the culture they live in. You, you, you think a few, uh, a few looters in uh, Portland and, and Rochester's bad. I mean, they live in a very difficult culture. And, and to add to that, Jesus talks about uh, what, what I would call... Jesus likened the generation. In fact, somebody, somebody, uh, Bob Karen, I don't know if Bob's here. Bob, are you here? Bob Karen sent me a text last Sunday uh, uh, complimenting and said nice things about the sermon. And he said he never understood. Go back to verse 16 of Matthew 28 where Jesus said, I liken this generation to children who play in the marketplace. And uh, the, the, they, they, they say, we, 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 we sang for you and you, you didn't dance. We prayed we we played a funeral dirge for you, and you didn't mourn. And, and you know, I, I, John the Baptist came, uh, came not eating or drinking with you, and you called him a demon. He's full of the devil. And I came, and I hung out with you, and you called me a, a lush and a drunk, you know? So, in other words, and, and Bob Karen said this to me, and I, I wish I'd thought of it when I preached it last Sunday, but he said to me, thank you for clearing that up. I never understood that passage he said, I never understood that what Jesus was talking about was the people of his generation were bullies and brats. And I thought, you know, so they, they were growing up, they were, they were living in a, a culture of, of bullies and brats. It reminds me of our day, right? The municipalities and the cities were corrupt. In fact, Jesus called out Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum because Jesus had done all these amazing miracles in in these cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, especially Capernaum. Capernaum, most of the miracles that Jesus did, Capernaum was where Jesus moved to when he left Nazareth. He set up his headquarters in Capernaum. And just almost every miracle, the, the, some of you are familiar with the story of the woman who had the bleeding sickness, the woman with the issue of blood, uh, Jairus' daughter who was raised from the dead, the, the nobleman's son who was healed, um, the, the, when, when, when the guys brought their friend who was paralyzed and let him down through the roof and Jesus healed his paralysis and forgave him of his sins, that was all in Capernaum. And Jesus said, man, if I'd have done these works in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And so judgment day is really going to be rough for you. So in this multi-layered oppression, a society of immature brats and bullies, Cities and municipalities that were corrupt, sinful, and unrepentant. It was the perfect setting for Jesus to lead a justifiable revolt. But instead, he talked to them about establishing in their personal lives a rhythm of grace and renewal. We, we can't miss this. So sociologically, the wood was there soaked in gasoline. And all Jesus had to do was strike the match. 
When you, when you raise a dead person up, when you feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, you have a lot of political power. You can start a movement like that. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to start a movement. I'm not going to start a movement in society. I'm not going to start a movement in the culture. I'm not running for office. I'm going to set a movement in the hearts of people that will give them life and give them peace and give them joy and give them eternity. So let's talk about that. The tension of our society is having its toll on us mentally and emotionally. Divorce rates in America have soared 34% during COVID-19. Newlywed separations have doubled 20%. Reported domestic violence is up 20%. Drug overdoses are up by 18%. And drug overdose deaths are up by 11.4% in the United States. In Los Angeles, the mental health crisis line reported an 8,000% increase in monthly call volume during the month of March. Suicide is already the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., US with a 35% rise in the suicide rate from 1999 to 2018. But a new article published in the journal American Medical Association suggests that the worst is yet to come. Now, all the data on suicides hasn't come in, but uh, things are looking bad. Uh, for instance, a suicide hotline in California, in Fresno, California, is up 40, 47%. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, 47% nationwide, 70% increase in, one, in Fresno, California alone. So um, it, when, they, when they looked at one county in Tennessee, one, one county in Tennessee back in March had nine suicides in one week. They had more, more, more suicide deaths than they had COVID-19 deaths. Even without, a, even without a pandemic and a lockdown, 800,000 people a year kill themselves globally. There's already a breakdown of human flourishing, relational intimacy, and spiritual tranquility that has taken us rap as rapidly as the coronavirus is. And, you know, we're so willing to turn our lives upside down and do all the kinds of things to pre prevent coronavirus, but this more persistent, invisible enemy, more persistent than the virus, is already taking us out. That's why I want to talk to you today about this. Uh, I want to talk to you about a figure who entered history and countered the culture makers of history and didn't lead them to start a revolution, but said, I want to bring every person the ability to sit at my feet and find renewal in their lives. That's what people need. That's what our staff in Boston is really doing. Talking to people about Jesus. Talking to people about the hope, because everybody wants to know why we're there and what we're doing there. So let me give you... Let me give you some, not steps. I'm not going to give you three steps. I'm going to give you three components of creating renewal. Of creating a renewal of the rhythm of grace. A renewal, of creating a, the rhythm of renewal, I, I mean to say, in your life. 
Christ began his invitation. Number one is create. Number one is create. Now that may seem kind of odd to say create. What do I mean? Well, Christ begins his invitation to renewal with a farming metaphor. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, I thought that's really odd. Isn't that really odd? Uh, he, he didn't start with a, tr uh, a metaphor of a tranquil-looking forest scene with a uh, waterfall in the background. He, he didn't talk about a, a massage table with hot rocks on the side with Yanni playing. <laughs> he, he didn't talk about that. But instead, he spoke of he shows us a yoke. And when I think of a yoke, I think of a field that needs to be plowed. He speaks of preparation to create something. It, you know, that, that, that yoke represents Christ's teaching, but it also speaks of preparation to create something. Listen to me. It speaks of creating something useful, fruitful, organizing something that's going to nurture other people and bless them. It speaks of a life that contributes to human flourishing rather than a reactionary life to everything that stresses and angers you. The rhythm of renewal doesn't begin with lying down, but it begins with labor. I know you didn't want to hear that, because I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to believe that. But when I saw the scripture, it said, okay, renewal doesn't begin with taking a nap. Renewal begins with creating order. Renewal begins with creating a flourishing life that causes other people to flourish as well. The Bible says the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. Look at Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So what had God been doing for six days? He'd been working. He'd been creating order. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. But the seventh day, God had finished from the work he'd been doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. So let me give you some things that you need to create today. Number one, create order. Jordan Peterson says this, you can end up in hell one step at a time. And that's extremely well documented. You can end up in the opposite place of that one step at a time, but it's also the same gradual process. So if you want to re get renewed, find something under your control that is disordered and bring order to it. Find a problem you can solve. See, the problem with social media is you're inundated with problems you can't solve. You're inundated with things you have no control over. I know you think those, I know you think if you put your, 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 your post in all caps that it will move reality. But you're not moving reality with your posts and your tweets and your Instagram stories. You're not moving the reality of the chaos that's in the universe. But there's something in your life. It, let, start with your room. 
clean your room. Start with your yard. Pull the weeds in your garden. Mow your grass. You want to get, start getting renewed? Find something that's out of order that you have the authority to create order in and make it orderly. Find things that are a mess and make them not a mess. I'm telling you, it happens to me all the time. I start to feel overwhelmed, distressed by life, and I go clean up something. I go clean up the garage. I go clean out a closet. I go clean up around the pool. Get something that I can look at where I've created order. God says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn how to walk in the rhythm of life. Stop looking at problem solving as the curse of Sisyphus. Everybody know what Sisyphus was? Everybody knows, you just don't remember the, the guy's name. You've seen his picture. The guy who's rolling the rock up the hill. Remember that? In mythology? And the rock always comes down and he rolls it back up and comes back down. And some of you, because life always comes unraveled and whatever, wherever you create order... The, the second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy, which says that everything goes from order to disorder, so you know it will go to disorder again. Stop thinking, though. Stop telling yourself, I'm just rolling the rock up the hill, and it's coming back down. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. But you are a, an image bearer of God, and when you bring order, you are feeling the energy of God. And you are feeling the energy of the power of the Holy Spirit when you bring order to anything in your life. And it may not be a room. It may not be that your house needs to be painted. It may not be your yard that may needs to be cleaned. It may be your relationship with your kid. It may be your relationship with your spouse that's gotten disorderly. It may be so many things in your life. It may, you know, it could be your car. I know when, when I have this thing in my life is when life is out of control, I have to clean my car. If I go clean my car, vacuum it out, wash it, wax it, I feel better about life. That's a principle. That's not just an accident. God created you like that. God created that you feel his energy when you look at something that's dark and void and out of order and you create order. It makes you feel the divine energy of God's power and it's how to change the world. It's the way to change the world. It's the rock in the pond. It's the rock in the pond. Don't throw a rock through a window in protest. Put a pebble in the pond of your life and watch it ripple out and begin to be a blessing to other people. And when you solve one problem, then you can see to solve another problem. You get your room clean, then you can maybe get your house clean and you get your yard clean. And then maybe you can go over and help your neighbor clean his yard. And then, then maybe you can get, the whole, get everybody inspired. We know this happens. We know this happens. We went downtown and we bought a building downtown, right? And we, we put our, our people to work on making that building beautiful. And, 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 and just, just made it stand out in the town. Painted love your neighbor on the side of the building. You've seen it. I get a call one day from a businessman next door. You know, who'd you hire to do your building? It looks so beautiful. And he said, he said, I'm going to go. He went and met with the board of selectmen in Milford 
And they got money released to, to uh, give money to all the other businesses on the street so they could improve. Now, the wheels of government move very slowly. The wheels of Bethany Community Church don't move slow. I don't know if you've been around here. But we, that's why we stay out of government. Because we, we move at the speed of life. <laughs> government takes four, five, ten years, and then sometimes it doesn't even happen. You know how it goes. But I, pardon me for being cynical about government. But because we, we took what God gave us and we set it in order, that's what you're supposed to do in life. You're supposed to set things in order. Well, I'm spending too much time on creating order. Create beauty. To create beauty is not merely to put in order, but to make it better. God looked down on the world one day and turned to God the Son and God the, the Holy Spirit, and he said, look at that world. It's ugly. Gentlemen, it's ugly. Let's make it pretty. Some of you are looking at an ugly relationship. Some of you are thinking about an ugly room in your house. Some of you are thinking about an ugly business plan that doesn't work anymore. Some of you are thinking about an ugly career plan that's not working. Some of you have some ugly habits in your life. Some of you are thinking about your ugly health prognosis. And some of you have unattractive and ugly speech. And some of you have an ugly, unattractive attitude. Today, do something about it and make it beautiful. Finally... Before we move to the next C, we're going to illiterate today. That, that's, not, that's not being illiterate, like can't read, but illiterate means to the words all start with the same letter. The points all start with the same letter. So the final part about creating is to invest in, in eternity. This is so critical. This is so critical. There are only two things that will last forever, and that is the Word of God and people. The word of God in people. So you want to get involved in investing in eternity. I talked to someone this week who, who has a mentor who has a personal relationship with Rick Warren. How many of you know Rick Warren? Rick Warren wrote the bestseller, Purpose Driven Life. Pastor Saddleback Community, a church of like 30,000 people in Orange County, California. And so he, he said his mentor calls up Rick Warren last week. And he said, Rick, how you doing? And Rick said, I am like a kid in a candy store in COVID-19. So he said, I've been going out on the street and preaching. He said, this last month, we baptized 2,000 people. <laughs> What's Rick's doing what I'm saying here today. He's not, he's not spending all his time fussing about what Washington, D.C. is doing or what they're doing at the United Nations. He's taking, doing something in his neighborhood. And he's going out, he, oh, can't meet indoors? I'll go outside and preach. He goes outside and preach and baptizes 2,000 people because he believes in investing in eternity. So let me tell you, by, by the way, I think everything I'm preaching right now is something you do on a weekly basis. And, and I don't have time to talk about Sabbath, but this is based on the principle of Sabbath. It's based on the principle of Sabbath. And, and, and you work six days, you rest seven. But... On a weekly basis, spend some time with somebody talking to them and helping them with their eternal journey to heaven. Read scripture with them. Pray with them. Have spiritual conversations. Get spiritual. You say, I'm not very spiritual. Well, get spiritual. Get spiritual. You say, I only know one verse. Keep repeating that one verse. 
Keep repeating that one verse. Lead somebody to Jesus and help somebody in their journey to Jesus. Moses Estevez is going to be speaking at our men's breakfast. I've been out to lunch with him a few times. And he always does this thing. The waitress comes over. And he will always say, listen, we're going to be praying over our food in a minute. Is there anything you'd like for us to pray with you about? And without fail, they get so excited. They go, yeah, you know what? I'm putting my kid in a new school on Tuesday, and I'm really stressed about that. I would be so happy if you guys would pray about that. That's what I mean. Start. One of the reasons you're depressed is because you just look at a world that's falling apart. But I'm looking at a kingdom that is being built. I'm looking at a kingdom that is growing, that's going to last forever, and I'm taking people into that kingdom. And you can start taking people into that kingdom instead of the depressing world that's around you. Okay, let's move on. I got eight minutes. <laughs> Think I can do it? I spent way too long on that first point. Connect. Connect. Rebecca Lyons said, The enemy of our souls wants us to be isolated and alone. He knows that when we're isolated, we're easy prey. Why? When we're alone and vulnerable, we feel afraid. When we're together and vulnerable, we become brave. A brave group of vulnerable people acting together in faith is not easily overcome by anxiety and stress. Connecting is when you spend time with another human being with the ironclad determination that this is, see this, we're moving beyond creating. We're not creating anymore. This is when you spend time with another human being with the ironclad determination that nothing in the material world will move forward or be improved. The only accomplishment is they will feel valued. My friend Gary Hamilton. I think I'm going to have him come down and preach for us next year, but Gary's done a great job building a great church in New Hampshire. And it had dawned on me a couple of weeks ago, I've neglected my relationship with Gary. I need to spend time. Gary's been diagnosed with Parkinson's. His attitude is fantastic. He, he doesn't stop at Albany. So we talked, and he's a, he, he's a great golfer. So he came down. I said, come down. We'll play golf, then we'll go, we'll go to the store. We'll go see the new store. And he came down, and we, we played golf terribly but we had great fellowship. And we talked and we shared. And we, t we, we weren't trying to accomplish anything. We weren't trying to move anything forward. I wanted Gary to know you matter. Gary wants me to know that I matter. Spending non-agenda time with those we share value with is a large part of honoring the Sabbath. What do you think they did on the Sabbath? See, God commanded us to take a Sabbath. What do you think they did on the Sabbath? You think they stayed in church all day? They didn't even have, they didn't even have church like this. There, there were two million people in that desert. There wasn't any tent big enough for to fit them all in. You know what they did? They weren't even allowed to cook on the Sabbath. They had to get all their food prepared the day before. They sat around and talked. They sat around and ate their food that they had prepared the day before. And they got caught up with one another's lives. And they told stories. They weren't allowed to, they couldn't even pick up sticks. God said, I don't want you to do anything productive. I just want you to be with me and with one another. 
I just want you to hang out together. Have you done any holy hanging lately? Have you spent any time with people that didn't have an agenda? That you weren't trying to do something or create something or clean up something, but you were just, you were just, you were just being a part of their lives? Man, I wish I had time to finish this, but I'm going to I'm gonna have to jump ahead a little bit here this morning. Um, Romans 12. Let's go to Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And certainly the, the common New Testament phrase, one another, can generally apply to all human beings. But in this case, in this case and in several other cases, it's talking about the people that you share God with. The people that you share your faith with. So we must keep con- contextualizing community as the one another. We must, we must put our hearts into the one, one another. In, in, in the first century, they were in such extreme stress. They lived under such stress with Roman oppression and all that was going on. And, 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 and remember what we said a moment ago. What will last forever? The word of God and people. So, he, so they invested their lives in one another. And people, the Bible says, they ate their meals together with gladness of heart. So it's a good time to be reminded. Let me tell you something that will renew you. Stop living in the headlines. And start investing in your friends and your family. Retreat from the headlines. Retreat from all the news. And go spend You go spend an hour with your grandkids and you will forget about Portland. You will forget about all the big conversations that are going on in the community. And there's there's time to go back to those conversations. There's time to have those conversations. But you will not last if you don't learn to pull away and connect with people with no agenda but to nourish them and have them nourish you. Finally, I will give you this. Cease. Cease means to stop. Psalms chapter 55 verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Now what do I mean by stop? I don't just mean that you sit still, though you may need to do that, by the way. And you need to take some time to be alone with God. Whether you're walking or sitting still doesn't matter. But let me tell you my own experience. About three weeks ago, I really... uh, realized that something was really off with my prayer life. That something was really off with my time with God. And I believe, you know, the the thought that came to my mind that I believe was from God, that I believe God said to me, is, Phil, thinking is not praying. And I realized at that moment... The scripture then came to me just like that. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above all, you can ask or think. And it occurred to me, what I it realized then what I was doing. I was going to God with something, but I would take over the dialogue. I would talk to God about a problem, but I would take over the dialogue, and I would, I would only look for understanding so I could go solve the problem. And God spoke to my heart and said, I want you to stop thinking and start praying. Praying is when I unburden my soul through confession, through complaining, 
through lamenting, through, through petitioning, and through requesting, but I don't try to understand the problem. I leave the problem in the hands of God. The Bible says to cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And I realize I wasn't casting my burden on the Lord, but I was activating my mind. So I would, I would go off and think for an hour. And God said to me, quit thinking. Quit thinking and start praying. Start giving your petitions to me, giving your burdens to me. That's what I want. In other words, what, 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 you, what you must do on at least a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, is cease isolated thinking apart from Christ. For an hour, a morning, an afternoon, or an evening. Cease thinking apart from Christ. Secondly, cease problem solving with God and start unburdening yourself on God for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, or as long as you can stay with it. Practice thinking less is what I've learned to do. I'm learning to do. Cease moving fast or moving at all for a morning or an evening or an afternoon or an evening. That's the purpose of Sabbath renewal. When you celebrate the principle of Sabbath, you're not just resting. You're letting everything else rest. Even, even food scientists will tell you that when you prepare food, you should let it rest. Right? Uh, as, as, as meat cooks, the muscle fibers start to firm up in the meat and the water gets pushed out when you let it rest, when you let the meat rest. In fact, they say that after you cook meat, it actually doesn't finish cooking until it's resting. And I just, you're saying, somebody knows about this more than I do. I just read about it somewhere. <laughs> that when you cook the meat and you let it rest, it continues to cook. How many of us in our lives are uncooked? We're undone. We're undone because we don't stop. We don't rest. We cast our... See, cease ignoring... Let, let me say this. I'm, I'm going to go a couple minutes over time. Cease ignoring your emotional and spiritual breaking points on a regular basis. Know when to cast your care on Christ. We cast our care on him with our words. We said that last week. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our confessions, our complaints, I said it a moment ago, our laments, our repentance, our praise carries our burdens from earth to heaven and our hearts to his. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Let me tell you something else. Cease ignoring the emotional and spiritual breaking points of those around you. You may be superwoman or superman, but the people around you are probably not. Remember when Jesus taught for three days and the disciples were going to send the crowd away hungry? Jesus said, no, they've reached their breaking point. Christ said, no way. Christ never ignored the physical and emotional and spiritual breaking points of the people around him. Churches, we have to do that, Mike. We have to work at this as a church to honor and understand people's breaking points. And sometimes when you're on this side of the platform, when you're up here on the platform, you don't understand how it is to be where you sat. You don't understand how, how it is to, to be where you sat. And we don't honor people's breaking points. 
but God, Christ did. In fact, he, that's what he looked at. The, he looked on that crowd that day and he realized you're all at a breaking point. Come unto me and I will give you rest. And I think that's the crowd that I'm speaking to this morning. Some of us, some of you here this morning, because of the pressures of the culture and the pressures of life and the pressures of your jobs, you're at a breaking point. Listen. Jesus never let screaming headlines determine the agenda for he and his disciples. He always found time to pray, spend time with his heavenly father. He always found time to hang out with his, his disciples and talk. He always found time to sit with sinners, learn their stories, and give them his wisdom. Jesus always paid attention to whoever and whatever was at hand. This is remarkable because no one knew better than Jesus the global dimensions of, the, of his calling. But it didn't matter whoever was in front of him, the sick person in front of him, or the practical problem that was in front of him, like his disciples not being able to pay their taxes. He always stopped and paid attention to what was right in front of him. He lived beautifully in the rhythm of grace. And you can live that way too.